you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those this morning. And uh, if you need one, there's some there around you. We're going to 2 Corinthians. So we've been in the first letter to Corinthians. Now we're going to the second one and chapter 9. So go back towards the end of that book or that letter there. If you're using one of the Bibles there from the chairs, it'll be page 758. And you know, um, I am, I have been accused of being a hard-headed. <laughs> Maybe even obtuse. So I am not so obtuse to know that some of the sermons I've preached lately have been probably a little bit hard for some. It's probably ruffled some feathers, caused some, some heartburn, some heartache. And so every now and then, you know, um, it's good to have a, a safe sermon, you know, a feel-good sermon, one that is not going to do that. And I felt like today was a good day to do that. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to talk about money. <laughs> Um, and at the end, I will uh, have you pack your bags for the guilt trip that's coming so that you can put an extra amount of money in the offering boxes uh, if you would like to do that as well. Sound good? Listen, we are talking about money today. Um, money is one of those topics that um, some people think should never be talked about in the church. Money is one of those topics that some people uh, think should only be talked about all the time in the church with a particular focus. Um, and then there's us. And the way I have approached money is if it comes up in the book that we're working through, we talk about it, which is one way, one of the reasons why we preach through books of the Bible, because it forces us to cover topics that we wouldn't normally cover if I was just picking my favorite topics to cover, or if I was just picking what I enjoy preaching on, um, because then I would start to gravitate towards certain issues, certain topics. But when you work your way through a book and your goal is to preach the, the, the same message that is in that original letter or that original book is the message that you preach here, just whatever the context is, you adjust for that, but you don't change the message, then it forces you to, to address things that you wouldn't maybe normally address. And then there's been a few times in certain topical series where, where we have specifically covered it. But one, one of the things about money that I want to put before you is God cares about what we do with money. And, and, I, and I think many of you guys realize that, and some of you maybe that's going to be news to you. But, but I think what we tend to do is we tend to say, man, that just causes too much division. It's certainly been abused. And, you know, there's certainly those people that are preaching about money and it's corrupted in the way that they're preaching about it. And so we don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be that kind of church. So we just we need to stay completely away from that. And I know that's our tendency and our reaction is when something is abused, we tend to go all the way away from it so as not to even associate with it. But that's not a biblical response. And so what I want, I want you to consider this morning is, yes, there's a lot of things about money in the church that has been abused, that has been used and manipulated, and it's been corrupted and all of that. But it's still in the Scripture. And we are required to cover what's there and to be aware of what's there and to align our lives with that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of the principles that the Apostle Paul uh, covers about giving. This is not the only place that the New Testament addresses giving. Um, it's been said, I think it was the um, chaplain for the U.S. Congress at one point, made the observation that Jesus talks more about money than he does any other topic. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't checked that. Um, but it makes a point. Jesus talks about money a lot. And the way Jesus talks about money is typically he's tying it to our heart. And what our, the way we approach money reveals about our heart. 
Uh, Paul is, is talking about money in this letter, but it's not the only time he's talked about money. See, there's times where the Apostle Paul, in the first letter of Corinthians, will talk about giving money to help for the poor. He'll talk about um, giving money on a regular basis as an act of worship. In fact, at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, he talks about taking the first day of the week and setting aside what you have decided to give. Right? I mean, it's not a foreign topic. It's, it's, it's addressed. He talks about, um, Paul will talk about um, using money to support the ministries of the church. Not, not a building, but the church, the people gathered that are representing Christ, the ministries there. And so you see money being given to support missionaries. You see money being given to support um, the apostles as they're traveling. And so Paul addresses this. Here, he's going to address a very specific situation about money. And we're going to be able to get some, some principles about how we should approach money. Now, money is a discipleship issue. Okay, that, that I need you to, to hear. Money is a discipleship issue. So as your pastor, I don't know what you give. I don't really care what you give. Here's the extent to which I care. I care what and if you give to the extent that it reflects your growth in Christ or not growth in Christ. To the extent that it reflects the discipleship issue, that's how I care and why I care about it. Because it's just like any other area. If I were to address a discipleship area where I say, hey, the way that, that we approach this issue reflects our growth as disciples. That's the extent to which I care about money. So no, at the end of the sermon, I'm not going to be watching at the door to see who drops in what. And, and I don't know most of the time what you give unless you tell me because it's a specific designated thing. I don't know that, nor do I need, need to really know that kind of thing. But it's my responsibility as a pastor to cover what's in the scriptures and to not shy away from the things that maybe you would prefer I don't talk about. But good thing I'm obtuse and hard-headed. Because sometimes I drive toward that stuff a little too much. All right, let's see what Paul says, though. So, 2 Corinthians, we've been in 1 Corinthians. This is the same church that he's writing to. The first letter was addressing a lot of issues that they were facing. This one now, 2 Corinthians, has a whole different tone to it because there have been some people who have been calling Paul's apostleship and his authority into question. And so, really, the second letter to the Corinthians uh, is written to uh, justify or to defend his right as an apostle, his authority as an apostle. And so, you'll see Paul doing a lot of uh, talking about where he gets his authority, why he has the right to do this, why he has the right to do that. Well, at the end of this, as he does in most letters, he, he deals with housekeeping items, right? Hey, by the way, I'm coming to you, and when I come, have this ready, or uh, be, be prepared to do this, or we're going to be bringing this, or I'm sending this person to you so that they can collect books from you to bring to me. He, he does things like that. Well, starting in chapter 8 of this letter... He's addressing a situation where there was a famine in uh, Jerusalem area and the church in Jerusalem was not doing good. And this church, the Corinthian church, is in modern-day Turkey area, right? So they're not as impacted by the famine. And this church is a pretty well-off church financially. They live in a major city and they've got a, a mixture of people in their church and, and the Lord has blessed this church financially. And so he says to them, hey, you've expressed your desire to be able to give and help the church out. And I'm eager to, to see that happen. And, and I'm coming to you and, I, and we're going to collect that, that which you've been eager to give. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to make sure that the people that have heard about your generosity, they get an opportunity to see it in action. 
right? And he says, I don't want people to start talking bad about you because you've been all talk about how you want to help out. But then when the opportunity came out up, you didn't take action. He says, now is the opportunity, all right? And so this falls kind of toward the end of his discussion about him coming to make this collection. And he's going to give some guidelines about how they should determine what and whether they should give. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 6. We're starting verse 6. Here's where we're going this morning. How we give reflects how we are impacted by the gospel. Okay, it's a discipleship issue. Just like many other things in our life, how we do it, how we approach it, reflects how we're impacted by the gospel. It's no different with giving. How we give is reflected that reflects how we are impacted by the gospel. And we're going to break it up into two ways. One, we give generously. And when I say we, we're talking about the church. We're talking about believers in Christ. We give generously out of grace. Pay attention to the preposition there, out of grace. So look with me at nine, chapter 9, verse 6 here. All right, here we go. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, that's what he leads with in this section. The point is this, he says, if you give bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. If you give and, 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 you're, and you're sparing in your giving, then you're going to reap sparingly. And he's taking a farming image. And really, he's pulling this from the book of Proverbs. Now, it's important to know the book of Proverbs. We've talked about this. The book of Proverbs is not promises, is it? The book of Proverbs is observations. This is what's generally true. They're short, pithy statements, memorable statements meant to communicate a depth of truth that can be unpacked. But the, much like what I do when I do things like this, I, I give you kind of a, a, a short, memorable statement, something that I'll stick with you, but then we oftentimes will unpack that. That's what a proverb's meant to do, is give you something to remember, and then you can unpack it so that you can, you can know, okay, well, what was the statement he put up? Okay, how we give reflects how we are impacted by the gospel. Now, what was his points on that? If I'm being effective in communicating, then you're walking away being able to tie those together. If I'm not being effective, then you're going, well, it was a nice statement, but I don't understand why he said that. Right? Proverbs are the same way. They're meant to help, help you remember the statement so that you can then unpack the truth. Paul quotes a proverb. I say that because here's one of those areas where this can very easily be corrupted. And it gets pushed as a promise, as a guaranteed thing, as a formula. Right? If you sow sparingly, you're also going to reap sparingly. So, hey, for those of you that aren't giving or you're not giving a whole lot, you wonder why you're not doing well financially. That's how this can be used. And, hey, if you will just sow some seeds, and usually they'll, they'll loop in the verse about, you know, a hundredfold and stuff in there, then, then you will receive back a hundredfold, right? And, it, and, it's, and it's used to manipulate you and used to manipulate me. Because it's taken to be a formula. Paul has no intent on using it as it is often used. Because that's not how it was meant to be used. He starts there and he says, this is generally true. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. So a farmer who goes and sows seed, he doesn't, he doesn't count the seed that he's putting into the ground as a lost or, or a, a wasted investment. Well, if I can just hold on to these seeds, then I'll be better off. He doesn't, he doesn't consider losing those seeds to the ground or giving those seeds to the ground as a, as a loss. No, it's an investment because he knows, hey, the more seeds I put in and, and, and the better quality of seed that I put in, once I sow that in, as I trust the Lord, then I'm, I'm going to trust Him for a more bountiful harvest. But if a farmer says, you know what? 
I'm really concerned that these seeds might not do well, so I'm going to save these. And I'm just going to put a little here, put a little there, put a little there. Well, they're going to expect back then a sparing harvest. That's the image Paul's pulling on, right? Now he goes on. Look with me at verse 7. He goes on, he says, each one, okay, here's, a, here's some very specific guidance he's going to give. Clue into this, this is freeing. Each one must give as, his, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Man, wouldn't you love to hear that one preached more? Right? That, 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 God, uh, that, that God wants you to consider prayerfully, we could probably add in there, what you have decided. I think it's a safe assumption that, that these people are praying about what they can give and they're looking at their budget and they're looking at their bills and they're, they're praying about what they get. And, he, and Paul says, what have you decided in your heart? And what are you able to give that's not reluctant or under compulsion? Because God wants a person to be able to give with joy. A cheerful giver. But see, so often, it, 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 the attitude behind our giving is, oh, if I would just save that 10% or whatever, then I could put it over here towards this, but now because I have to give to the church because I feel guilty or I feel shamed or somebody was watching when the plate went by, you know, and I felt like, well, if they don't notice, you know, that I'm putting something in, what will they think? We, we give like that. That's not joy in our giving. That's not cheerful in our giving. That's not grace. So remember I said we give out of grace? That's not giving out of a position of grace. That's giving out of a, a, condition, a, a position of guilt or shame or obligation. Right? Paul says, I want you to pray about, I want you to decide what you're going to give in your heart. That's what you give. And you give to the point where you're, you're not giving reluctantly and you're not giving under compulsion. See, this is key right here. The church leadership in the church, regardless of what church you're in, should not, must not, force people to give certain amounts. Okay? I can't put a dollar sign on that for you. I, I mean, for some of you, if I put a dollar sign on it, it would be way too low. For others of you, it would be way too high. And I'm not God. So I am not the one who should be telling you what you should be giving. I had a young couple, newly married couple, recently asked me uh, about giving. They're, they're considering uh, how they should give and to what extent, and they're trying to figure this out as a married couple, and, and what do I think? And so I went right here, and I said, this is where I tell you to start. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about giving, and I'm going to hear from some of you later about the 10% and the tithe in the Old Testament, but I'm just going to tell you, if you want to obey the Old Testament giving, you better be given 21% and upwards, because the tithe was just one component of the, the required giving in the Old Testament. And they were given for very specific reasons. And, 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 and I think 10%, uh, here's, here's what I told them, I said, 10% is a great goal. But for some people, 10% is too little, and for some people, 10% is too much. You know, my, I mean, it, it would be if you're able and you want to say, hey, this is a good benchmark and we're praying about that and we, we want to give that, fine, go for 10%. But really what you need to do is you need to prayerfully together decide while looking at our budget and, 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 and considering, Lord, what do you want us to give? And then you decide and you give. And you give to the extent that you're able to give with joy because God loves a cheerful Giver. That's what Paul says. He says, hey, I want you to decide what you're going to give in your heart, and then you give. 
Hey, which also means, hey, if you're talking with your neighbor and you're asking, hey, how much are you going to give? And they're like, I'm going to give this much. And you're going, oh, I can't give that much. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to put, put a strain on, on this budget here, you know, a, a, a necessary thing. Or, or, or someone else, you, you know, ask and they say, uh, I'm giving this much. And you go, got you beat. Right? That's not the goal either. Each one must give what he's decided in his heart. And, and again, prayerfully, because listen, you and I are still impacted by sin, so I can look at it and go, you know what? I've got, mm, I got about 1% discretionary in my budget. It's not going to hurt me to give that. Uh, it'll make me feel good. I can say that I'm giving, so 1% of my budget. There we go. We can do that. And never once ask the Lord, what would you have me give? And you will be in sin to do that. If you try to give what meets your standards, what meets your preference, and you've never consulted the Lord, you're in sin. Just as someone who's giving so that they can maybe try to earn acceptance by the Lord or, 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 or use it as a gauge for their spiritual maturity or, or, or a standard, they're in sin for doing that. So, so Paul says each one must decide. All right, let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8 here, right? And, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, another principle here that we oftentimes forget about that's so good is that Paul says, hey, just in case you're concerned about giving, remember who your God is. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Interesting that he calls provision financial provision, what I need to live on, he calls that God's grace. Undeserved, freely given by God. That is a completely different understanding than what many people have about our salaries, our income, our money, our provision that we have. I worked for that. I own that. That's how we typically see our money. And Paul's understanding of it is God's able to make you abound in all grace. In other words, all that you have is given to you from the Lord. It's undeserved, and he can give and he can take away. That's Paul's understanding. And, and then look at why God, this is, I love this. Why would Paul remind them that your God is able to increase what you need? He's able to provide, he says, abounding. Grace abound to you. It's going to overflow to you. Why would God do that? Just so you can enjoy the wealth? So you can enjoy the things? No, Paul has a very specific understanding about why God blesses people financially or with possessions and things. You see it? You see, you see the, the word there? So that. God is able to make you abound in all grace so that. The reason he would do this is so that you having all that you need, and, then, and some of your translations will capture this, and it's about being content with all that you have. Okay? So that in being content with what you have, in, in, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see how he did that? God can make grace abound to you, provide for you more than what you need, so that you can, can then abound in every good work. Well, what's the good work? Well, for Paul, the good work is gospel living. For Paul, the good work is using your things and your money and your possessions for the sake of the kingdom of God. How can I use the material things that God has given me to leverage the gospel? How can I use it and give in such a way that people are not drawn to me as a good and, and, and charitable philanthropist, but as someone who is so impacted by the gospel that they're then drawn to the glory of God? 
how can I use the things God gives me, the grace that he makes abound to me, so that then I can turn around and abound in every good work? God blesses so that we can in turn bless others. It's that straightforward for Paul. Hey, you're a church that's well off right now. You're doing well. God has shown his grace to you. And part of the reason he's shown his grace to you in this way is so that now you can abound in every good work. Okay, we go on. Verse 9, he quotes, he quotes here from an Old Testament passage and he says, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. Who is distributed freely and given to the poor? It's God. God's the focus. Paul is understanding here is that God gives all that we have and he provides for those who have need and his righteousness endures forever. All right, so the first thing that we're seeing here as we kind of wrap up verse 9 is we give generously out of grace from a position of grace. We don't give because we've been manipulated. We don't give because we've been guilted. We don't give because someone shamed us. We don't give because we think somehow this is going to impress God and, and, and move me up in the line for heaven. We don't give out of any of those reasons because none of that is grace. All of that is work. All of that is out of some kind of self-righteousness. But Paul says, each one, set aside what you've decided in your heart. Trust the Lord, he'd say, who can make grace abound so that you can then abound in every good work. We give from a position of grace. And when we give from a position of grace, we're able to give with joy. You know, the Bible and the authors of the Bible, so therefore the human authors and the divine author, are concerned about our joy. In all that we do, they're concerned about our joy. And, and, they, and they, they deter us and they discourage us from doing religiously good things without joy. They should be together. They should be attached. But sometimes we separate that and we are just religiously obedient on the outside, doing the right things, but inwardly we're far from the Lord. But when those two are, 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 are merged together and, and what we do and the way we live is an outflow and from a position of grace, we're free to give with joy. It blesses us to give. I mean, have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been in a position where you've been able to be gracious to someone and give and you didn't expect anything back and you didn't get anything back, but the joy in giving was there? And, and, and you were looking forward to opportunities to do it again. Maybe so, going so far as to say, Lord, bless me some more so that I can bless some others. Wouldn't that be some good prayers to be praying? Lord, bless me so that I can bless others. You know, um, with the ice storm, this doesn't have to necessarily apply to money, but, but with the ice storm, one of the ways I saw this was some of you who, who are blessed with generators. When your power kicked back on and you found out other people didn't have power, you were loaning out your generator. God blesses you and then you are blessing others. That's the principle here. Okay, so we give generously out of grace, but then also we give generously because of grace. It's a response to grace. So look with me at verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he's already kind of pulled on this farming view now and he's pulling it back again and he's calling them, trust the Lord. The, the, the Lord who supplies your, the seed for the sower, he'll supply and multiply seed that you need. He, he's, he's, he's reminding them who God is because the, the temptation is, I can't give because this limitation. I can't give because this. And he's saying, God will provide for you. 
Because when we hold on to the things that we have out of fear of not having enough, Paul connects that with a lack of trust in God. When I'm holding on more tightly to the things God gives me than I am to the God who gives it to me, I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting my own ability to provide and I'm not trusting His ability to care for me. So Paul reminds him of that. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he says it again. He says, you will be enriched. God's going to provide for you what you need. In fact, Paul goes beyond just provision of what you need. He says, you're going to be enriched in every way. But notice the focus is not so that I can accumulate wealth. The focus is not that, like God, I'm going to give so that I can get more. See, Paul never goes there. Paul never makes giving about what I can get out of it materially. He never makes giving about, I'm going I'm to sow seeds so that the Lord will, will, will bless me financially because that's how I understand God to show my love, His love for me is through financial blessing. He never goes there. In fact, His focus is so far from that. His focus is not give so that you can get. His focus is give so that you can then give some more. Because as you give, the Lord's going to provide what you need so that you can give more. You see it? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. If we are blessed by God with things, there will come opportunities where we have more than what we need and someone lacks what they need. And, and, and it may just be that God has blessed us in that time to be able to bless someone else. And that's Paul's understanding as he's preparing to come get this collection for this, this other church. And then he says, and here's what it'll lead to. Thanksgiving to God. Not praise for the Corinthian church. Not, not, not praise for, for the, the individual who gave the largest amount. No, it'll, it'll lead to thanksgiving to God. When, when these people receive their gift, they're going to see it and know it to be the provision of God, the grace of God. And it will lead them to thank God. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. He says it's going to result in two things. One, you're meeting some needs of other believers. Okay, you see, the, this ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. You're going to be meeting the needs of people who have needs. Some believers in Christ who are lacking right now, you're going to be helping. But it's also going to overflow in many thanksgiving to God. The goal in giving is not to elevate me, but to shine the light on God. How can I leverage my giving so that the gospel is elevated? Remember we start out in that, that how I give shows the impact of the gospel in my life. Okay, so we keep going in verse 13. And he says, By their approval, the ones receiving the gift of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Here's where I'm getting the we give generously because of the gospel or because of grace. He's saying, they're going to see when they, when they get your gift, they're going to glorify God. And the reason they're going to glorify God is because of your submission. And where does that submission, your obedience, where does that obedience come from? Paul says it comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. We give generously because we were given generously. 
We give generously because we have received generously. See, back, I don't have this up on the, on the slides, but if you, if you have your Bible, just glance back at chapter 8 when Paul was starting this and verse 9 of chapter 8. And, and, and here's what Paul is, is really shaping and framing his whole discussion about being generous. Chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ was rich. Paul would say in another place, he existed in the, in the form of God. He was equal with God in his, his existence, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Philippians 2. But instead he became poor. He humbled himself and became a man. So that then we, by his poorness, could become rich. You know how he'll say it in, in, um, in this letter earlier in 2 Corinthians 5.21? He'll say, he who knew no sin... Jesus, who was sinless, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's understanding is that God has shown grace in the gospel. He has, he has blessed richly poor people. And he's talking spiritually poor people. People who are impoverished, impoverished spiritually. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see God. Spiritually impoverished people need someone who has wealth, spiritually speaking, to come and aid them. And that's what God has done. And that's where Paul is tying all of this to when he says that it comes from your obedience uh, of your confession to the gospel. The way we understand the gospel to impact our lives shapes and impacts the way we give. And conversely, the way we give will reveal how much the gospel has impacted our lives. Okay? Let's keep going. Two more verses here, and we'll wrap it up here. 14. He says, While they long for you, this is the church receiving the gift, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Alright, so, so Paul is saying, hey, when they receive this gift, they're going to pray for you, they're going to thank God for you. But then he comes right back around and thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. He's not talking about the money at that point. He's going back to chapter 8, verse 9 at this point. The inexpressible gift of God is Jesus Christ who is rich becoming poor so that by His poverty we might become rich. And we're not talking about material blessing. We're talking about spiritual blessing. So how we give reflects how we are impacted by the gospel. That's what should shape and influence giving in a believer's life. Yes, there should be some regularity to it. Yes, there, there is a, there's a, some, sometimes a, more of a balance of what do I see that I, that I need to meet, meet my, my, my requirements and what does the Lord give me? And then there's other times where the Lord's going to lead you to give and it's not going to make sense according to your budget. And that's when you've got to be reminded that a budget is a man-made thing. It's good. You should be doing it. If, if, you, if you haven't practiced that before, you should have some idea of what money's coming in and where it's going, right? You should have some idea of that, whether it looks more systematic or whether it's vague, but, but you should have some idea. But at the end of the day, you need to realize that that is man-made. And the Lord gives what He wants when He wants. And it's not beyond the Lord to provide outside of your regular income. And it's not, it's not an impossibility that you might lose your regular income. right? But all the while, we trust the Lord as the one who provides. And so we go to Him and we say, God, how would you have me give? 
That may be, how, how would you have me give regularly at church this year, this month? That might be, God, I'm aware of some needs. How would you have me give or would you have me give? Uh, that might be, hey, I have this that, you know, I, I like it, I'm enjoying it, but these people could really benefit from it. You know, these are the types of things that are shaped and influenced by people who have been impacted by the gospel. And it's a type of, type of giving that flows out of grace and because of grace. That's how we want to be characterized when we consider our money. That's why I say it's a discipleship issue. Because, you know, I could get up here and, and you've all sat through sermons, I think, like this, or you've heard of them, where someone gets up and they guilt you. And they say, if you're not giving this much, how dare you rob God? Right? Right out of Malachi, but not what Malachi was saying. Right? And, and, and we could do that because part of that is, is, is motivated by fear. Some churches are motivated by fear. What if we don't have enough? Well, I think Paul just addressed that, didn't he? God supplies. So it would be wrong for a church or leadership of a church to get up and say, if you don't, then we won't. And that's our primary motivation of making you give. Now, there's times where, hey, as a church family, we're honest and we're saying, hey, we're not, we're not doing so hot in this area. So we're, we're putting that before you so you have the information so that you can pray about how you give. But that's a whole lot different, I think, than saying to you, you need to give. You're going to be part of this church. You need to give. And if you don't give, I'm coming knocking at your door and I'm going to ask you why you're not giving. And hey, if it's a problem for you to give because you didn't make it to church, I'll show up and collect that for you. No problem, right? I mean, that's a whole different feel, isn't it? That's not the type of motivation that Paul was going after. Each one set aside what you've decided in your heart. There's a freedom there that we need to know and we need to live in. So here's what I want you to do as we kind of wrap this up this morning and then Jeff's going to come and play and sing just let some things settle on us. Here's that respond QR code. If you want to pull out your phone, your camera can focus in on that and it will pull up a website. Three questions. One of them is, hey, today I'm trusting in Christ. Hey, maybe today you're hearing about a God who is so gracious and generous and, and that he gave himself. Right? That's Jesus Christ becoming poor even though he's rich. God was, was not willing to hold on to his rich, his wealth, but instead he was willing to become impoverished. Maybe you're hearing this morning about a God who, who loves so deeply and so fiercely that he was willing to become poor. He was willing to become part of like his creation. He limited himself by taking on human form so that he could live a, a life of perfect obedience to God so that then he could die a death in the place of guilty, rebellious people so that those who then trust in him might know the richness of God because of Christ. Right? Maybe this morning you're hearing about a God who's not so much concerned about your money and what you give, but about your heart and what controls it. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of maybe some well-meaning meaning Christians and maybe not so well-meaning Christians who guilted you with what you have or what you make and, and all you got from them was God will not be pleased with me unless I give and meet your standards. And maybe today you're being freed up. I'd love to hear about that. Maybe you've got questions. Listen, I'm always open to questions. I've got some sitting in my inbox right now I'm looking forward to. Some of you have interacted with me over the last couple weeks through email, some in person. Some, sometimes they're, they're, they're good dialogue. Sometimes they're harder dialogue. I'm open to all of that. 
I want to because there's, there's opportunity in that for us to learn. So maybe you put some of that there, maybe you don't, but we'd encourage you to consider how will you respond this morning. And then lastly, if there's something we can pray with you about, there's a place for you to put that there. All right, let's ask the Lord, what do you have for me this morning in this? Grace, you've shown me grace. You've lifted my shame. You've drawn me with loving kindness. Washed whiter than snow. You have redeemed and made me In every chain with love and mercy, you've triumphed over death, and you are worthy of glory and praise. Oh Jesus, you have won me, you've broken every chain with love and mercy. Triumphed over death, and you are worthy of glory and praise. Hey, if you're able this morning, will you stand and we will dismiss? Your very wealthy God became poor for your sake that you might know His wealth in Christ. And Christ came to set you free, not so that you would live in bondage, and that includes with your money. So go and be people who are characterized by that freedom in the way that you give and in the way that you live. And do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys.